0: If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation and the nations with the good news about Jesus. Have you ever
1: asked the question, who's in charge here? I want to say a good morning to you. My name's Brian. It's so good to see so many of you, and I know so many join in online. But have you ever found yourself asking the question are you in charge here? Who is in charge here? Maybe you've been to the supermarket in the last few days. Anyone brave enough to do that? Maybe you found chaos. Maybe there were no Brussels sprouts. Maybe you were in a queue of shopping trolleys that you thought was never gonna end. Maybe you looked at the, um, the checkout assistant, the one who works the self-checkout, and you thought that poor woman, that poor man cannot keep up with the demands of the flashing beacons. Everybody wants their help because this self-checkout isn't quite working. Have you ever asked the question, who's in charge here? Maybe you've negotiated with a small child. And then you've come away and realized you did all the compromising and they got everything they wanted. Or maybe you are a small child and you're realizing "Mm, who's in charge here. Maybe you've asked yourself that question, who is in charge here? Well, that question is a question that I want us to think about this morning. See, that question is like a recurring theme It's like a recurring undertone, a recurring question in the story of God's people, in the story that we see unfold throughout the Bible, the story that we see that the Christmas story plays a pivotal part in, and the story that we're part of today. You see, when we think about that first nativity, that that first Christmas, you know, maybe you can picture the Christmas card image or the nativity play you saw. We need to rewind a few thousand years to really understand what's happening. When the people of God begin as the people of God, they're like a collection of families and they become a tribe. And in the world where they live, there are other tribes. And some tribes might be their friends, and some tribes might be a threat. There might be some tribes that want to come and take over and answer the question, we are. We are in charge over you. So they live in this ancient tribal world where they're asking the question, who's in charge? Are we in charge? Should we be in charge of them? Are they going to come and try and take charge of us? But then this tribe become a nation, and we see their story unfold throughout what we call the Old Testament in the Bible. This tribe become a nation. And, and in many ways, their, their story has twists and turns, and in many times, they find themselves the underdogs. There's a time and you may, you may be familiar with this. Maybe you've seen the film "Prince of Egypt." Maybe you remember the story of Moses parting the Red Sea, where if they ask the question, "Who's in charge here?" The answer is Egypt. Egypt are in charge. They rule over us. They are in charge. But then, throughout the story, the, some kingdoms come and kingdoms go, and empires come and empires go. And we, we find a time where the answer to the question is Assyria. Assyria have come and taken over us. They rule over us. Then Babylon, then Persia, then Greece. Someone else is in charge here. And then we find ourselves at the moment in history where that first Christmas takes place. We find ourselves at the moment in history where that first Christmas takes place. And the answer to the question, who is in charge here, is Rome. Rome is in charge. They're the latest kingdom to come and then to go. They're the latest ones who have taken over and rule over us. Who is in charge here? Rome. And they rule with violence and oppression. That's how they show that they are in charge. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you are these people, that you, you, this is your heritage. It's always been someone else. It's never been us. We've always been the underdog. When it wasn't Babylon, it was Persia. Then it was Greece. And now it's Rome, and they seem to be the worst. But you see, there's this hope that you live with there's these words that you've heard that tell you that change is coming. There is this hope that your ancestors spoke of, that there is a new kingdom that is going to come and that the king of that kingdom is going to be like none we have ever seen before. And those words are spoken, they're recorded for us in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, this prophet who foretold that there was a new kingdom coming. That change was on its way. And this is, I want us to have a look at this. This is the words that were written. That those people as as living under the the rule of Rome. They lived with a hope that one day something was going to change. One day the narrative was going to change. And this is what they held on to. Their hope in the darkness. For to us a child is born. This king will be like no other. To us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there shall be no end. This was the hope that the people, God's people lived with. They lived with in the midst of the darkness, hope that change is coming. And so when we see that first Christmas unfold, and we ask the question, who's in charge here? Christmas tells us, Loud and clear, King Jesus is in charge here that this new kingdom is on its way and that this king is like no other, that this newborn baby delivered to a teenage mother and laid in a manger, he is the one who has come to rule and reign. He is the one who is the the world's true king and that leadership, the leadership of the world will rest upon his shoulders, that he will lead his people, that he will rule over them, if they let him, if we let him. You see, let me tell you a bit about this king, this king of the coming kingdom, because he's like no other. I want us to think about the words that Isaiah wrote. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what this king is like. This king displays his strength in vulnerability. That's what this king is like. This passage tells us that he is everlasting father, that he always has been and he always will be, that he is, always has been, always will be, that he created the world and that he sustains the world, that he is everything, that he is everlasting father. And yet the moment when he chooses to enter the world stage of human history, he does it in the form of a tiny baby. And at the time, the infant mortality rate was 30%, which is devastating and so risky of God. I don't know about you, but I'm quite a cautious person and I'm not a big fan of risk. And I feel like if God ran his plan past me, I don't know about you, but I would have said, maybe we can just eliminate a bit of risk here. Maybe there's a, a like, slightly safer option. But this king, the king of the coming kingdom, he displays his strength, everlasting father, the one who always was and always will be in vulnerability. We... Um, when Pete and I became parents for the first time, there were some things that were new news to me. And um, I don't know how I miss these. Or I don't know, maybe people hide them from you deliberately. But I remember um, one of the things that was new news to me was that getting out the house was like a two-hour military operation. And that getting out the house on time was an impossibility. I remember um, it was new news to me that babies didn't understand that the hours of darkness were for sleeping. I did not expect that. I don't know what I was doing for all those years before I had children, but I never picked up on that. People hid that from me. I never realized that. There was something else that was new news to me, and it was the weight of responsibility I would feel for the survival of this small human. And now it sounds quite obvious, but I had never felt it before. And when I think, I remember when she was seven days old, I remember just thinking, I'm a winner. We survived. Like, I deserve a really big badge for this. Because I haven't, I've not got dressed in seven days, showered. Who needs to clean their teeth? She's still alive. We've done well here. And then to think that the king of the universe, everlasting father entrusted his survival, his needs, his nourishment, his sustenance, his welfare into the arms of a teenage mother who, if if she was like any parent I've spoke to, felt like she did not know what she was doing, felt like she was making it up as she went along. You see, this king displays his strength in vulnerability. And that's what we see at the very first Christmas. Let me tell you a bit more about this king. Because this king displays his power in restraint. This king displays his power in restraint. This passage tells us that he is mighty God and that he is the prince of peace. In this word prince, we can also read the captain or the chief, that he is the captain of peace, that he is mighty God. This is the king who displays his power in restraint, that he is the provider of peace. You see, this word peace, this was a common word in the era when the first Christmas took place. But when you heard the word peace, you also heard Rome. There was this phrase, Pax Romana. I'm an an expert in ancient Roman. The fact that's as far as it goes. And it means the peace of Rome. And Rome was hailed of having had around 200 years of peace across the empire. But let me tell you about this peace. It was peace that was enforced through violence, through oppression, through fear, through tyranny. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like peace to me. And then the Romans, what they did to display their peace, the peace of Rome has come to this city, what they would do is they, they develop the most hideous form of torture the world has ever seen. And if people dared to challenge the peace of Rome, then they would crucify them outside of the city rules as an illustration of their power, as a statement that who's in charge here? Rome is in charge here, and don't you dare challenge that. And then if we fast forward 33 years, we see a new kingdom illustrated by a man hanging on a cross outside of the city walls. But this time is the king of the kingdom. It's the baby it's, as he grows up. That's what he, that's what he comes to. And there are people who stand there at the crucifixion and they say, if you are the son of God, then you'll get yourself down from there. If you are the son of God, then you must be powerful enough to get yourself down from there. Well, this is the truth about this, this king. This king, who holds all power, displays his power in restraint. It's the fact that he is God, that he remained there. That it wasn't forced upon him, but he chose it. It wasn't too much for him, because if you know the story, three days later, he gets himself out of an even trickier situation when he rises from the dead and beats death once and for all. But it is his restraint, his power displayed in restraint that keeps him on the cross. He doesn't get down because he lays his life down. Because of his great love for you and for me. And that's where we see this new kingdom illustrated, where the king suffers for his people. The third thing we can see in this in this passage and in the story of Scripture and in the life of Jesus is that this king displays his love in proximity. This king doesn't sit on a throne far away and issue decrees and commands. But this king displays his love when he comes close. This king displays his love when in proximity. The passage tells us that he is wonderful counselor. Now, I don't know about you, but the the people who give me the best advice in my life are the people who are not only wise, but the people who know me enough To know what wisdom to give for which situation. You know, they're the people who are close to me. The best advisors in my life are the people who are close to me, the people who are attentive, the people who listen. Have you got someone like that in your life? The people who who know you enough, are close to you enough to be able to offer that wise counsel, that good advice. And I love it that when Isaiah opens his description of what this coming king is gonna be like, he starts with, he is wonderful counselor. He is the advisor who listens attentively, who comes close, who knows us, who knows us more than we know ourselves and draws close. And that's what we see at the first Christmas. And when John, in his gospel, when he his his account of the Christmas story, he describes it like this: He says, "The Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and blood, and moved into the neighbourhood. Moved into the neighbourhood, came to be with us, came to be amongst us, came close. That's what this King is like. He displays his love." through proximity, through his closeness to us and with us. And I wonder for you, maybe you're in need of wisdom in your life today. Maybe there's some this situation you're walking through where you think, I need that person you've just described. Well, that person is available to you today and his name is Jesus And I want to encourage you this Christmas, as maybe you've got a little bit of time to reflect or a little bit of a break from work or the normal routines. I want to encourage you to lean into that wonderful counsel, that wise advisor, to take the things that you need input on, to take it to this king, Jesus himself, the king who displays his love in proximity, The invitation for us this morning is to make this king our king. Because the answer in our lives to the question, who is in charge, can be Jesus if we let him. And this is how he rules, in vulnerability and restraints, through his closeness with us. What I want us to do is I want us to watch the screen and hear a little bit from Josh's story. Maybe some of us will find ourselves in Josh's story this morning.
0: I'm Josh, I'm 18, uh, I'm a youth worker in Burnley, um, and I moved here in September from just across the border in Yorkshire, uh, a place called Wetherby, that's where my family home is, uh, where I grew up, and where I went to school, where I went to church. Uh, I've had a series of really challenging things happening in life, uh, my family had quite a few bereavements in there. In the midst of this, were also I, I had some relationship issues and friendship issues which just seemed to grow and grow and grow over two or three years. Um, and the more they grew, the more difficult they became. And the more I was almost at war within myself. Because um, I'm a Christian and I wholeheartedly love Jesus. And then on this other side, I had um, these friendships and these relationships were just pulling me the other way. I just felt so so confused and conflicted. And this just grew and grew and grew over two, two and a half years. It got tougher and tougher and tougher. And I just felt more and more trapped. And it built up to such a stage where it got um, so bad that I ended up having to make a choice. I got to choose Jesus, or these friendships, all these relationships, because I was just in a, in, a situa- in a state, to be honest. I was so low, so probably depressed at points, to be honest. Um, and I just like, had to make a choice. And that choice, uh, I think I made the right one in the end. The decision I made took many months. I was like, I need to follow what Jesus has called me to, what Jesus says that I should follow. I need to lay, lay down some things because Jesus has called me to this. Um, and there was a lot of prayer and there was a lot of tears and there was a lot of struggle. And there was a lot of, is this worth it? Um, but I decided actually, no, I need to. I, I need to go wholeheartedly for Jesus in this because I just think he's real I think he I want him to be king of my life because that's when I'm at my happiest that's when I'm at my most content um and that's when I'm most at peace um so I I decided yeah Jesus wholeheartedly gonna lay down some stuff um and that was the decision I made this decision it changed the way I thought um Jesus being king just seemed to change the way I thought about life uh, about what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be around, uh, what values I wanted to have. And the big realization of uh, Jesus being king over my life was that I, I do what Jesus wants to do. And the thing that made me make the decision to that was that that is the best thing that I could have. Um, so it changed how I act practically and the fact that it changed how I think, how I like feel, um, what actions I take. When I made that decision, I. My relationship with God changed. It was a, a relationship of, God, I know you're with me. God, you're there. You're uh, comforting me. You're Whatever we face, we can go through this together because you've changed me, because I know that you fundamentally live in me. And I found uh, this peace, which was just amazing. What I knew was true was always true, that life with Jesus was going to be better. It was going to be more fulfilled. It was going to be more enjoyable, more peaceful, more like, this is me. This is who I'm meant to be. And that's what I found was I wasn't who I was meant to be before. But as soon as I made that decision, I was who I was meant to be. And I think when you find who you're meant to be, you can find peace in that situation so easily. If you find yourself in a situation like I did, I want to encourage you uh, to accept Jesus as king, Uh, king over everything, over every situation. Um, It might be hard and you're not sure that you should do it. But I can tell you it's worth it. It was worth it for me.
1: Thanks, Josh, for his story. You know, as Josh did in his story there, this passage talks about peace. He talks about the prince of peace, as we talked about the captain, the chief of priest of priest, peace. Easy for me to say. But he also says of the increase of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And it's not just that this king has peace, that he represents peace, but that his ever-increasing kingdom is marked by peace. That his ever-increasing expansive kingdom for which there shall be no end is marked by peace. Not Rome's version. Perhaps not even the version that comes to mind when we think about peace, but true peace. And I wonder for you, what is it that comes to mind when you think about peace? I often put it with the word quiet, peace and quiet. You know, where it's the end of the day and everything's done and there's at least 10 minutes peace. You know, have, have, you, have you felt like that? Or maybe when the absence of that kind of confliction on the inside When you you don't feel conflicted on the inside, you just kind of feel at peace. You know, like when you've had a holiday, and then you think, why don't I always feel like this? And then normal life resumes. I don't know what you think about when you think about peace. Maybe it's the absence of something, noise, conflict, war, challenge. Maybe it's when life is easy. But when we see this word peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. When we see this word peace, it it means completeness and wholeness. That is what is available to us. It is an all-encompassing experience. It goes beyond what's happening around us. Or even what we're feeling inside. It's a completeness and a wholeness. It's a peace that touches every fiber of our being. It is a deep contentment, at restness. I'm sure I've just made that word up, but it's okay. It's a sense of being at rest. That's what I should have said. And it's something we can experience. It's a wholeness and a completeness. It's how life is meant to be. That's what Josh said. Did you catch it in the video? I realized this is how it was meant to be. This is how my life was meant to be. And that wholeness and that completeness comes. It comes to us when we make the prince of peace, the king of our lives. As Josh shared in his video, when we, decide, when we submit ourselves when we decide that this king, this king who displays strength in vulnerability and power in restraint, and his love when he comes close, this good king is the king of my life. That's when we experience this peace, this wholeness, this completeness. When we give up that inner battle for control, have you ever felt like that? Like, I'm, I'm just holding on to this, because I should hold on to this. You see, when we give up that inner battle, when we give the control and the charge and the leadership of our lives over to this king, King Jesus, that's when we experience this Peace. I wonder if the band would just come and help us as we just reflect for one more time on what Isaiah spoke was coming hundreds of years before the Christmas, and it's the hope for us today. Because this is what it says. I want to encourage you this week to have a a look at Isaiah 9, starting from verse 1. Because it says this, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Does that sound good? There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. It says that they will see a light in the darkness, that there will be a light at the end of the tunnel, that there will be light in the darkness, that they will grow, that they will have joy, that they will be free from oppression. This is the peace that King Jesus brings when we make him king in our lives. Maybe some of those words describe your experience. Maybe this year has been distressing for you. Well, I really believe that what Jesus wants to do in your life is what was written hundreds of thousands of years ago. There will be no more gloom. No more gloom for those who are in distress. Maybe we feel like, some of us feel like there's this kind of, there's this darkness that just hangs over us all the time. No matter what's going on, it's just kind of there. Well, When Isaiah speaks of what things will be like when this king comes, when the Prince of Peace comes, he says, there will be light in the darkness, that there will be joy. Maybe some of us feel like we're kind of trapped. Josh said that in the video, did you catch that? That we're somehow trapped, not in a physical prison, but there's things that are keeping us captive and holding us back and tying us in knots. When Isaiah writes of this coming king and the coming kingdom, he talks about freedom. Freedom from all the things that hold us and bind us. That is what is available for us this Christmas. This wholeness, this completeness is available for us when we make Jesus the Prince of Peace, King of our lives. And that's what I want us to reflect on for just a moment. And we're going to remain seated as the band lead us in this song. I want us to reflect on the completeness, the wholeness, the true peace that is available for us. If
0: you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at on social media or our website Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation and the nations with the good news about Jesus.